shit, shit, shit show. It's a fucking shit show. Shit show. All right, welcome back to Shit Show Saturday. And today we are joined by quite a shit show. Hopefully she doesn't mind me saying that. Welcome, <laughs> shit show, Marie. Like Marie, but with an L. Hi. So what song do you want played when you walk into a room? I meant to think about this. Okay, Taylor Swift, This Is Me Trying. At least I'm trying. Okay. I, do you know that song? Okay. Oh my God, I love it. No, that song. I'm not a Swifty. Oh, I am. I I don't know any current shit. Oh, well, her other song that I always think of when you ask other people, this is her other song is like, I knew you were trouble when you walked in. It's <laughs> like every fucking person I've dated. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying not to be trouble, but so this is me trying would be more appropriate. So favorite carbohydrate, please don't be gluten-free. Oh no. Um, isn't a potato a carb? I love potato. Yeah. I love baked potatoes with all the butter I can find. Um, cheese. I love it. But my, the guy I've been dating, he does not like cheese. So I, I eat less now, but I freaking love it. I I love basic cheese. Uh, sharp cheddar. Your basic cheese. Basic. Craft craft singles. No, no. Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do like fancy, the whole Gouda. I don't do the fancy cheese that much. I do feta, but, but cheese singles. No, Mm -mm. no, I know. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, condiment. Oh, all the condiments. I love all of the condiments. And you're an atcher, clearly. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's legit. I think so too. I think you're completely onto something. Could we like? Could there be some sort of treatment? Could maybe there's some sort of like secret sauce there, right? Of like Literally. maybe there's a way, yeah, to treat to heal your attachment style. Based off some spot on my tongue that'll hit it. Like as soon as vinegar hits it, I'm a better person. Yeah. I don't know. Exactly. Maybe. I don't know if we need to deprive ourselves of kind of, I'm not doing that. No. Like maybe, maybe we need to just force feed avoidance shitloads of condiments. (laughs) And then maybe they won't be avoid. I think that's it. You might be onto something. Like I died laughing the first time I ever heard you say that because I, you said you're a condiment whore and I died Mm -hmm. laughing at that. I was like, I don't know if I want to admit that, but oh man, I love all the condiments. Yes. Me too. And I won't start my meal. Like when you go out to dinner with me. So I'm a big salad dressing gal. Oh, me too. Like I like to dip shit in salad dressing. Me too. I like it like on the side dipped it. And I like ranch dressing for everything. You name it. If there's going to be some fried potatoes, yes, we're at the ranch dressing. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I like to go through the menu and just look at all of the items <laughs> that might have a condiment that I might want with my meal. I actually go to certain restaurants because I know which side thing that might yes. have peanut sauce at that place and which I literally yes. stake it out by the condiment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Me too. Yeah. I love them. Love them. <laughs> Um, so before we started recording, you shared that you've been sober for 32 years. Yes. Since I was 19, just like you. And when I heard you say that, a lot of and people guess are, what? but the, you got sober the year I was born too. Oh, really? Oh, 1989. That was a good 80, year. Oh, no. Oh, 99. No, 89, 89. Oh yeah. 89. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. So what's your sobriety date? Uh, December 4th. Okay. 89. I was born in January. Oh, cool. Oh. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good year. Taylor Swift also has a album since 1989. It's a good one. I'm going to turn you into a Swifty. No. 
I love her. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> I, I mean, I appreciate people that like her. I think she's talented. She's just not my jam. Oh my God. Her lyrics are amazing. Uh, amazing. Love it. So at what point did you realize that you were an adult child? Well, first of all, I have to say there's kind of like a stigma, I think, in AA. Maybe I'm old school AA. That if you're like AA, like you're a recovering alcoholic, like all the other 12-step programs are kind of like lesser than. Maybe I'm an AA snob. I don't know. But I did. Yeah, I have- but, but considering, I think it's newer. I mean, it it is. It's, And I think it's especially depending on where you are, because I felt that way living in Jacksonville. I don't, it's not like that in San Francisco. AA. Oh, so I think okay. probably also regional, but yeah, it is more old school. Maybe. But, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. But so when I got sober, it was at a, a house that, you know, whatever AA owned or whatever it was, that's the only thing you did at that house is have meetings. It was like in the barrio of Tucson and, um, and they'd had almost like, you know, four AA meetings a day like super late at night, super in the morning in the middle of the day. But then those other fringe things like ACOA, those, you know, those are like once a week or whatever. And those are for like the really screwed up people, but they weren't like good enough to be alcoholics. I don't know. I don't know. There was a stigma about Mm -hmm. it. I just didn't want to go to those. My dad was an alcoholic, plus more so than my dad being an alcoholic because my my childhood was so dysfunctional. It wasn't funny. So, um, but I didn't want to claim that. I thought, you know, that's, that's, I don't want to deal with my childhood shit. I just like in the now and, you know, and so I really ignored all of that for the longest time. I didn't have any interest in it. I also, the whole codependent thing is that I was just like, okay, what I knew, this was, you know, back in the day in 1990 is that there was alcoholics and then the codependents were like their, their little leeches that would support onto mm-hmm. them. Da, da, da. I was like, oh, I am not going to be an enabler. I, I'm not that. I am the addict. You know, I wanted like top mm-hmm. billing. Um, but I've, <laughs> I've learned a lot, you know, I you know, recently got divorced, but I, I learned a lot about some of the things I do and what I'm doing and my like need to morph and please people. I'm more codependent than I thought. And I was just totally in denial and over the past three years, it's been a huge journey of learning that. So, so that is part of how I, and I'll, I'll tell my, when you get to it, the shit story, the shit show story that tipped the scales that made me realize I really need to do some work on that. And that's how I really dug into it. And I just Googled it and that's how I found your podcast. So, so had you already been kind of diving into this stuff? No, by then? no, not at all. I was diving into divorce and dating and how to go back out there and how in the world to meet someone new that you would even mm-hmm. want to be vulnerable with. I was dealing into that, which, and that's when I first heard, I did read the book attached. I did first heard it, but it was, I, I just didn't totally relate to it until like I hit my bottom, my second bottom. There you go. I think that book is great, but I feel like it's, I don't know, like first, there's a lot of good info in there, but I feel like for those of us that are adult children, there's more to it than what's just in the book. I totally agree. I absolutely now totally agree. I was baffled by it at first when I first started listening to it, but now I know a lot more about it. Let's talk about your childhood. Um, First of all, I've been drinking for a long time, so I can remember the story of when the night before kindergarten started, well, just right before that. So my brother is five years older than me. And so, wait, you said, it sounded like you said, I've been drinking for a long time. Oh yeah. Yeah. For like, for, since you- I was little, 
I was okay. A I, I thought you meant like right, like no. in the like in. You're like, all right, I've been having it. Just know so I started drinking at lunch today, guys. This, I'm like, I started for 32 no, years. No, so I'm totally got totally it. Sober. Okay. No. Um. So my brother's five years older than me. And one of the things that I used to do with my mom is go when I used to live in Florida when I was little is we'd walk up to the elementary school and pick up my brother and then walk home with him. Right. So you'd be with this little gaggle of kids. That was really cool. Going to school was cool. Walking home was cool. I was all about it. So, um, and I had done that for like, you know, I don't know, a year at least with my mom. And so the night before kindergarten, my mom informs me that the next day I was going to go and I was going to stay and she was going to leave. And I was like, Mm. what? Like for some reason that did not occur to me. And I did not realize that. And I started freaking out just the thought of, wait, I'm going to go. My brother's not going to be in the room with me. I'm going to be there. And so I remember freaking out. And I was also a young kindergartner there at the time. We started right before we were five. Um, So, but I freaked out about this. So I get up, I can't sleep and I don't even know what time it is, but I was already had been put to bed and I go up to my dad and I'm like, dad, I can't, I can't sleep. I'm, I'm, I'm scared. And he says, you know, I used to always be my job to run and get him a beer and I would get to pop it open and it would like bubble and I'd get to drink the foam and then hand him the beer. Mm-hmm. So he says, go get me a beer, go get you a beer. So I drink an entire beer. I'm almost five years old. So I'm four. Okay. That's what's almost five. <laughs> so I drink the entire beer and I'm calmer. I'm like, and he said, you know, he's like, do you think you can sleep now? And I'm like, no, I feel much better, but I don't think I can sleep. And he's like, go get another beer. But two full beers. I'm four years old. I weigh what? 40 pounds. I'm surprised. Like, uh, I would think that you would have thought it tastes really gross. I loved that? beer. I loved beer mm. because I was always giving it to my dad. I drank sips of it all of the time. And I loved beer and it was like my dad's special thing. I felt very honored to be the girl who gets to pop the lid. I'm the only girl. And it was, oh my God, I loved it. Heck yeah. So my very first day of kindergarten, I was hungover. Do you remember after drinking the second beer? No, I just remember being sleepy. I just remember the next day I felt weird. Like, like most of the day, I just felt like, no, 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 no. I felt weird. Like I just didn't feel normal. And I thought, it's crazy. And there was many times after that, that he would be like, you get a beer and I get a beer, bring them back. And we'll sit here in this chair and we'll watch TV. And it was normal. I was like five years old. Do you remember was like the craving there from that first night before no, kindergarten? Well, like- was, the craving was attention from my dad was his, right. he'd always, he was normally angry. He was normally gone, but in those like relaxed times at night, he would he had a big recliner and he'd be like, I would sit on the arm of his recliner and I was really a small child and I would sit next to him and we'd talk and he would show me what it was. I, it was like our together time. I couldn't wait to do it. And then you mentioned you had a brother that was five years older. Did you have other siblings? Um, No, not really. I later, (laughs) we don't talk about them. No, later (laughs) when I was 18, my mom remarried and I have stepbrothers and sisters, but I wasn't raised with them. I've always been the youngest. So, so I have Uh one brother I was raised with. So then what were, what was the environment, you know, like in the home? Was your dad like a functioning alcoholic or? Yes. And he was always working and he he was always professional. And I, when I was little, I remember him just being like thin and handsome and dressed up and he would dress in suits and things like that. And I was always impressed by him. Um, But it was very chaotic. And there was a lot of crap that even happened in that house when I was little that was just very, um, 
the screaming and yelling and things like that that had happened. So I, I most recently, I don't know if you, I don't know if you believe in hypnosis. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I was I super skeptical about it. But recently, about six months ago, I went to a, a hypnosis, whatever person, and um, I was actually going to her about something else. And the first time she put me under, I had this complete vision of uh, now I'm going to call her my inner child. But I, like I said, I've been really resistant. I thought that was a really stupid thing to do. Like, why are we talking about our child? Like we're grown up. Like, why do we do that? And that was the first vision that came to me. It was about how scared she was. And I started crying and the, the lady was like, what's going on for you? And I'm like, this is so crazy. Like I can see her. I'm like touching her head. I can, and at first I thought it was my daughter. I have a daughter that looks just like me. And I, and she turned it, it was me. And I was like, uh-huh. and, and I'm like, she's scared. She's, she's asking me if we're going to be okay. And, and the lady leading me through that, she's like, tell uh-huh. her she's going to be fine. And I'm like, but uh-huh. I don't know she's going to be fine. And she's like, uh-huh. yes, you do. Yes, you do. You do know that she's going to be fine. And it was just the craziest thing. So I, I don't know. I, I, uh-huh. it was never, that's what actually got me more into the journey of understanding the whole inner child thing, because those memories and that, those feelings still are in there. But I, I denied all of that for the longest time. I just thought that was a stupid ass thing when people would talk about their inner child. I just thought, seriously, grow up, like get over it. Yeah, I felt that way. Now I don't. Well, I didn't expect it at all. It wasn't what we were talking about at all. It was not the topic. It floored me. I, w- I was like literally shook. I came out of that thinking, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And so. So then you got sober at 19. So. When did you start drinking on a regular basis? I drank a lot, even when I was in junior high. My parents got divorced when I was in eighth grade. And I'm still friends with my friends from eighth grade. And they were always like, oh my God, we drink so much at your apartment. We were like, my dad was into, he came from the furniture industry. We had very nice furniture in our house. And he had a whole like bar in a cabinet, you know, tons, like 40 bottles. And they're all mm-hmm. open. And so my thing was to come home every day and take like a shot glass of each. So he could never, so the levels were never changed. Of, and he had like every kind of alcohol possible. So I was, I never cared what it tastes like. That had nothing to do with anything. I was chasing the buzz. Like yep. people say that I don't yeah. like how it tastes. I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> like, no, no, I, I drink fucking rubbing alcohol. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mouthwash. So I, I drank a lot. I would drink with my friends over some, but I drank more alone and I would party later in high school, but I drank far more. I drank to blackout yeah. alone. I, I tried to, I never wanted to get taken advantage of at a party. So I tried to keep my wits about me at a party, but I would go home and literally drink a fifth of vodka and tequila is actually my downfall. And what happened was that I had been drinking a lot and we, I lived in Tucson, which is not far from Nogales, Mexico. And at the time you could drive down to Nogales and drink for super cheap. You could do everything for super cheap. And um, we, I was with three other people, my boyfriend and another couple. And we ordered a, we went to have tacos and we got a bottle of tequila, drank the bottle, didn't do anything. It was like literally water. Had, I was like, this is nothing. I said, do you want another bottle? Yeah, we want another bottle. The next bottle. Okay. Starting to feel it. Want another bottle? Yeah, we were chasing the worm, you know, the uh-huh. worm at the bottom of the tequila. So the third bottle, for some reason, literally was probably 10 times stronger than the first bottle. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that one knocked me out. I mean, not actually not. It didn't knock me out. It, it's the one that totally put me over Do you the think edge. they were watering it down? Yes. 
The first one was fake. I mean, the first one literally was like, this is nothing. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do think that. But the the last one was crazy. It was just so strong. So I'm in a Volkswagen bug. I drove all four of us home all the way to Tucson, almost two hours home. I go to sleep and I get up and I'm a little manager at, at, at Dillard's. I get up, I get my butt to work. I can hardly focus. I can hardly see. I can hardly stand up. I can, I mean, I was just, but I just like, I got to get there. I got to get there. Got to get to work. Hyper vigilant, hyper responsible, get to work. I put in my cash drawer and I stepped on a little step ladder to do something, to turn on a TV and fell off the ladder. Woke up five days later after I'd been in, in a coma for five days from alcohol poisoning. What age was this? 19. I had bare, I was barely 19. It was like three days after my 19th birthday. So when I woke up, I saw I was also a bulimic and I was lying to everybody about that also, keeping it very secret. I was like a very secretive drinker. And so when I woke up, I didn't know where I was, like how I'd gotten there. I, I assumed I crashed the car. I didn't remember half of it. It came to me kind of later. But when I woke up, a nurse was in the room with me and she said, have you been drinking? And I'm underage and afraid. And I don't know what I have just caused. And I said, no. And she said, do you make yourself throw up? And I said, no. And she, she asked me one other question. I can't remember what the other question was, but when I answered that, she said, okay, she said, you just failed because I was to ask you those three questions. And your mother has said, if you had, you know, copped up to any of those things, she was going to let you be like, I was legally could have been responsible for myself. But since I didn't admit I had done those things and I had put myself in a coma, I like literally legally lost my right to take care of myself. It proved that I was not fit to take care of me. So then she had already signed papers for me to go directly into treatment when I was healthy enough. And then, and the nurse said to me, she took my hand and she looked me and I didn't believe in God at the time either. And she took me by the hand and she said, you don't know how lucky you are. You should have died three different times. She told me whatever the percentage of the, which I didn't know any of it. And she said, she's like, do you understand what that means? And I said, no. And she said, and she's like, you only weigh 106 pounds. And she said, you should be dead. And I was like, well, I lied. I haven't been drinking. She's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> she was like, you have been drinking. She's like, literally, you don't understand how like, you're lucky you don't have brain damage. Mm. And she looked at me in the eye and she said, God kept you alive for a reason. And I, I, I didn't believe in God. And it kind of spooked me that she said that. It was kind of like voodoo crap. And I was like, ah. And um, so anyhow, she, but I got locked into treatment for six months. So treatment was crazy. I I had all these memories and stuff, all this. I, I didn't even realize I'd been sexually abused when I was a child until then. Mm. I got all this intense treatment. You were with all these crazy girls telling all these stories and all, I mean, all this shit came up. And I literally before then had not realized how different my life was and how messed up my life was. And I also had no idea there was any kind of help. I had no idea. I'd never been exposed to counseling. I had no idea there was help. I was euphoric that there was counselors there that wanted to help me and there was things I could do and there was ways I could stay sober. Um, so I was all about it until I got out of treatment. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I, kept, I went to a meeting daily and, um, and got a sponsor, got an awesome sponsor. I was liking it. I went way far away from my house because, you know, I can publicly drink, but it's embarrassing to be sober. So I went, drove, you know, down to the barrio 
and, uh, and every day, but then I started drinking again. I started doing it very secretly. I kept drinking. And, um, one day I came home from work. I had been drinking all day. I'd been barely eating and I was starving. I was going to, I hate, I suck at cooking still to this day, but I put some oil in a pan, started the thing and forgot about it and burned the house down, burned the roof, burned the kitchen. I lived in a very nice new apartment and it took the roof and, uh, which is terrible. And I felt horrible. And I went up calling, I knocked on the neighbor's door, whatever, you know, the fire trucks came and whatever, but I had destroyed this house and um, felt like shit about it. I was so shook up about it. And I felt like I was going to die in it when it was happening. And then when I didn't, I felt hugely grateful. And I had been learning about a higher power for that past year. I was kind of open to it. So I called my sponsor who, thank God, was a lawyer because I also got sued um, for the damages that I caused. But I called her and I was crying and I told her, you know, I, I had been drinking and then I had started this fire and it had just happened and da, da, da. And, um, I told her that I had been lying and I'd been drinking like almost every day. And I thought she was going to be shocked and be like, Oh my God, no way. She was like, yeah. And I was like, no, I know I, none of you guys have known. And she's like, Oh, we all knew everyone in the room knew. She's like, that's what we do. You, you can't bullshit us. <laughs> you can't like, and I, I was, I was totally surprised. Um, Cause unlike my family, I couldn't, I couldn't bullshit them. That's just, and so here's this group of women and they're all older, much, much older than me. And they were all like, yeah, we, we've known, we're just waiting for you to be ready. And so that night after that fire and after being totally straight with my sponsor, um, I, I never drink again. Our stories are so similar about, you know, cause there was, I got sober and then was pretending, you know, relapsed and was pretending to, that I was sober and I picked up a nine month chip and um, yeah. And then shit hit the fan. So let's hear this shit show story. Okay. So, um, so when I got sober, had to join the air force cause I got sued, uh, met my husband right away to be my husband in AA also, we were sober, was married 29 years. Um, also have three beautiful kids and two grandbabies. You look also. way too young to have so, children. Yeah. Oh, well, I do. And they're amazing. Um, so, but then three years ago, I got divorced. Um, didn't totally see it coming. Thought I'd be married forever. Really shook my life up. Definitely shook my kids' lives up. Um, and it made me really have to figure out who I was. And it happened at the same time. My nest was emptying. My youngest was already in college. So I was suddenly super alone and had to figure out my life. But in, in 2018, after the death of a, of a dear, dear friend of mine, my daughter revealed, my middle daughter, she revealed to me that she had a drug problem and it crushed my soul because I had somehow thought that if I had sober and my kids grew up with sober, loving, two parents in the household, nice house, nice suburbia, beautiful home, all this stuff that I would buffer them mm -hmm. from that. And it broke my heart to see her struggle with it. And it made me kind of mad and kind of like, what, what the hell? What, you know, maybe none of this is worth it kind of thing. And that scared me. And I knew enough to get right back into meetings. And, um, and I definitely dove right back into meetings. I had to. I was too afraid of myself. And I also know that I can't drink. I know for sure I can't drink. And I know that if I drank, that it would, my life would just fall apart. But I was... 
at that moment. My marriage was also falling apart at that moment. And I just thought, what the hell? And which is a super slippery slope. So I got back into AA very strong at that point, back in 2018, got divorced in 2019. So then after a year of separation and about like six months of uh, not dating, started dating, anyhow, dated a couple of guys. Uh, about a year after that, I had I moved to Florida. I was dating a guy. I was not living with him, but he'd come stay with me, whatever, which is super new to me. And um, somehow in... We had a pretty turbulent relationship, but one time a thing happened where we were getting ready and we, I thought we were going to the store together. And I also am hard of hearing. And he, um, I don't know, he left without me. He went to the grocery store without me. I came out already, called for him, looked around for him, couldn't find him, opened the garage, saw that his car was gone, threw myself on the floor crying. Mm -hmm like petrified, like literally as if I was a child and my parents mm -hmm. lost me at the circus. Like I had this breakdown. I was shaking. He was at the, at the, I have a car. <laughs> I'm an adult. I, none of that. It, it was like, I literally felt like a small child that had been completely abandoned. Mm -hmm. I literally lost it. And I, I mean, I was shaking. I was terrified. Mm -hmm. And, and then he winds up coming home, like, you know, 30 minutes later. And I, of course I'm mad at him and all this stuff. And, and I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't even know how to explain okay. how upset I was. And my heart was racing. I could hear my pulse in my ear. It was crazy. And just like what you said, when, when I first heard you say this, when you were like, what, my, what I was experiencing did not yeah. fit the situation. Yeah. I mean, it so didn't. But I'm telling you, it rocked my whole court. Like, I was trembling. And I kept thinking, what made me do that? But what I felt like was that I was abandoned by my dad. That, that's what I was thinking. And my dad did like a bit when my childhood, he did do that and he didn't show up and he would promise to be there and he wouldn't be there. And I, that's what I was feeling. And a lot of that was from the divorce. I had had this secure thing. And, um, and in, in my new life, I didn't have much security really at all. And, oh my God, I, I felt like that was my bottom. I was so sure I broke up with him that night, mm -hmm. sent him away because I literally couldn't even explain how I was feeling. Did you realize that you were in a trauma response or no? Um, by about later that night, as I sat, I journal a lot and I was journaling and all I could think of is I felt like a child. I felt like my father left me. I felt like I was all alone. I felt like I was I, not just all alone, like as a 52 year old woman, I can be all alone, but this is a different kind of alone. Alone, like where no one is there to fend for me or care for me. And I will not survive without the other person there. That's how I felt which I understand is not rational when someone goes to the grocery store without you, but it, how the feeling took over my body was so intense that literally that is my bottom. After that happened, I thought I have to figure this out. This has nothing to do with this relationship at all. This has everything to do with me really being kind of terrified to be alone, but reliving all of a sudden, all this stuff had been coming back from, that was really from my childhood. Mm -hmm. It was really that, that my husband could not have fixed, that this guy's dating could not fix. It, it's, it didn't have to do with them. It had to do with my core. Mm -hmm. It was huge. I mean, it was really huge. Like I needed like a break from everybody and everything. It was during COVID. And I was just like, what the hell do I do? And that's when I started really digging into things and going, okay, th this is something. This is just not nothing. 
And I'm not just overreacting and I'm not just clingy. It, went, it was deeper than that. It was like, in, you, you, in your, you know, your second grind, you're talking, your mom had to fly out and take care of you. You couldn't function. You couldn't work. You couldn't eat. That's, that's where I was. I didn't eat for like five days after that. I couldn't function. I was pacing around my house. I was just like a wreck. And I had to just stop thinking like, don't be stupid. It, I had to be like, wait a minute. Why don't you just feel this? Mm. Feel what is going on. Write about it. Try to get to the bottom of this because this is something. Why don't why don't we just deal with it? Let's just figure this out and look at it. Just just and so I just started journeying. Like, what do I think it is? And that's when mm. it got to be like my dad, me on the curb, where my dad would never pick me up, and I'd wait for hours on the curb waiting for my mm. dad to get me when he promised he would come get me, and he never came. And I mean, it was all flooding back to me. And so that is what started me on this whole deeper, way deeper journey of inner child and attachment. And this is way deeper. And I think so far underneath, it has to do with my alcoholism, but it's, it's far deep. Like the alcohol has been removed for 32 years, but it's still there. It's the trauma response from real trauma. So what does healing look like for you? Well, healing looks like learning that I can take care of me, that even the flawed parts are okay, and that I, um, I'm going to be okay. I can never actually be abandoned because I'm actually able to take care of myself now. I am not a three-year-old in the forest. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what my money situation is, which I, I'm, I'm blessed. I have a good money situation, but it does, that doesn't matter. It's really that I am competent and I am okay and I will be okay, even if I don't get remarried, even if I don't feel love, even if you know, whatever those things are, that core part of me I have learned um, will be okay. And when I started looking into like ACOA, one of the things that ACA says is, you know, learn to self-parent. And I, I remember the first time I heard that, I thought, that's the stupidest thing ever to say. I can't parent myself, like, you know, but I can I have learned slowly that that's not a a harmful thing to say. That is like, take a deep breath. And what do you need right now? What do you need to be okay? And a lot of times I can't do whatever all of society or my family or or my job or whatever wants me to do right then. I'm like, Lorene needs a break. I need to go walk around. I need to, I literally need to shut everything down or whatever it is. And I've learned to just, take care of myself in just a much more authentic way of really asking myself, what's going on right now? What do you need? And how much of what you're thinking is true? And how much of it is your just complete like inner critic just slamming you to the floor when it's okay that you have these insecurities or feelings or shortcomings or whatever, you know? So how's your daughter doing? She's doing much better. So she's in a much different situation and I believe she's totally sober. She does not like 12-step programs, sadly, Um, but she's removed herself completely, moved to a different city, has a new guy in her life. And I think she's doing very well. So do you want to just talk briefly about your experience dating since your divorce? You know, dating has had a lot to do with this, that I have had to really look at myself and figure out who the hell I am. I identified so much of being a wife and a mother and, um, and a Christian. And I had this whole little bubble figured out and my whole life revolved around my three kids. And 
then I'm dating and I have to figure out what, who I am now without my kids. My kids don't live in the same state as I do anymore. And so I have to figure out who I am now. It's, it's been challenging. It's been hard. And it's been very hard to be vulnerable. It's been very hard to um, not feel triggered when, you know, small things come up and <laughs> I get triggered. So um, it's hard. Like, it is hard. I've been in like an off and on relationship. We're on right now. And it's like, we trigger the crap out of each other sometimes. And we love, we're both anxious. Mm. God help us. We are. And so we both kind of like, we need each other desperately. And then we just trigger each other. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, ah, so yeah, we, we break up quite a bit, <laughs> but we always get back together. <laughs> I think we just have to like, as we're doing this work, we just dip a toe in the pond, you know, like in dating and, you know, like see yeah. what's, what's going yeah. on there. Well, the truth is I really do want a relationship. I liked my life with a partner and I, I don't need, I, I don't need one to survive. I don't need one financially. I need, I just, I enjoyed sharing my life with someone. And I, I did it from the age of 20 into 49. That is like my whole life. And I, I liked that life better. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I, you know, I hate being away too long. I'm 52, but I hate being away from it too long. I know. Just who knows I could meet somebody. I might, you might, you know, maybe I could slow down. Maybe you could stop imagining you're married before your first date. Maybe you could like, (laughs) no, I mean, go get it girl, you know? Um, Yeah. Have at it. (laughs) I know. Well, that's why I talk myself into it. And then I go out there and I get jarred right away and shut down. Like I just went. We were just broken up for like six months. I dated on two different apps, went on maybe 15 dates, did not kiss one guy, did not kiss one. I was just like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> and I, it's just, yeah, I have a really hard time letting somebody in right then. But then if I let them in, if I decide I like them, then I'm way too, Crazy. yeah, we're married like in five days in my head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, I think it's fine. It's it's just like if people are having these, you know, you continue to have those crazy trauma responses like what you described before. As long as that's not happening yeah. to us, like when you know these relationships oh, yeah. <laughs> end, if you're like want to fucking kill yourself, you know, after dating for somebody for a month, right. you probably should take a break for right. a while. You know, <laughs> I'm actually so glad that actually even happened. I like I. I had just after that heard somebody say, just, you know, that's when I literally somebody audibly said to me, you actually as an adult cannot be abandoned. You can feel the feeling. You can feel like someone chose to leave, but you're not actually abandoned. But it it triggered those feelings of like, I'm helpless. I'm like, I can't survive literally without someone. And I, when I wrap my brain around that, like that might hurt. My heart might get broken. Yes. All those, even financially, like all these things could happen, but I won't be actually abandoned. I'm strong. I'm healthy. I'm smart. I've been through a lot of Mm -hmm. shit. And I like to kind of say like, I, a hundred percent of my bad days, none of them have killed me. I have survived all of them. And I feel really, everyone has seen some crazy shit in my life. And I, I just feel like, okay, like give yourself a little credit that you're going to be okay, no matter what, but don't wall off. Don't like, don't let anybody in, but no, 
learning to allow them to come in or out of my life and that I can leave their life and I'm not responsible for how they react either. Um, my ex-husband had a very bad reaction to me filing for divorce. He was quite, quite traumatized, like SWAT team traumatizing, not a joke. Um, and it triggers something in you like, oh my gosh, I can't ask for what I need because something bad might totally happen. And I might be responsible for someone else taking their life. It's terrifying. And so I have to, I have to learn to like, no, I can't, I'm not responsible for other people's reactions or their breakdown or anything. And so I'm learning a lot. I'm, I'm super grateful for yeah. it. It's so. a, I think it's such a blessing when this shit pops up. I do too. Now I really do. I honestly do. I'm so grateful. And I, I think it's, I have a couple of friends that are like, how many of these workshops are you going to pay for? And I'm like, until I feel like I don't need them. I learned so much that it's worth it to me. Yeah. I think we'll never, we'll, we'll never stop needing them. <laughs> like different yeah. things. But you know, I think it, that is part of being, um, being raised dysfunctionally is that I was always like looking as part of why I even do professionally what I do. I'm an interior designer. And one of the reasons I've always been fascinated with other people's homes and how do they live and what is it like and what's in there is because I've always felt like my house was not good. Like it looked good, but it wasn't healthy. Mm -hmm. And so I was seeking like, what's out there? What, like, what, what are they doing? You know, what are they, what's the magic? What do calm people do? Like, what, what would that be like? And I think part of being a dysfunctional child is that you're constantly trying to learn answers. Um, not because my, I'm so flawed or in distress, not always because of that, because I'm literally fascinated with what, how could I learn more about this? How could I do better? And it's been so satisfying to learn. When you learn some freaking skills, when for a whole year, all I, I kept finding out, so, okay, so I'm anxious. Okay, so I'm anxious. So what do I do? I never heard of one solution to it. It was just like, maybe if you were the different person. I, the book attached, I thought, said, if you were just with a different guy, it would react differently. Yeah, or if you did X, Y, and Z, it'd be like, yeah, I fucking tried that shit, okay. <laughs> right exactly and it really wasn't until adam like he had like a list of things like you do this first you focus on your shit you focus on this you can't you can't change how they react or what they do in a fight or whatever mind-blowing to me like i have like a whole new focus like no matter what i've got to let them deal with their stuff it's, it's been huge for me so what is a um a hope or dream for your future I totally do hope to be in a healthy partnership that maybe married, maybe not. I, I always thought I want to be married, but now maybe I don't. Um, where I don't feel fear when I find out like what I've done wrong, when I'm willing to learn, when I'm learning to grow. And that person cares enough about me to also do the same, that it's reciprocal. That to me is a hope or dream. And I also hope for even in my, in my other relationships, my friendships, my relationships with my kids, I've learned so much about letting my adults, their adults, letting them make their own decisions their own, and not badgering them, not going, you know, why did you do this? But being like, okay, that's interesting. It's different than what I chose, but okay. And really loving them no matter what. That's growth for me. That, that is literally what I hope for the future. So with the dude now, the on again, off again, I mean, is this, should we stop doing this shit? Like, is this un unhealthy? Is, do, is this going to go anywhere? Is this blocking you from meeting your actual person? What's going on here? My friends and family think it's blocking me. Um, 
he's the first guy I've loved since I've been married. And I think it's really hard. There's parts of him that I, he's really super romantic. And it's like, I've always wanted that. I love that shit. He loves to go dancing. He's just like, I love that. I always, I begged my husband to do that stuff. And he never wanted to do it. So part of me is liking that. And the other part of me, I, I'm not sure. I'm not, uh, I don't know. We're very on again, off again. I'm still trying to what, figure that out. What triggers uh, to go off? His jealousy. He's jealous. He, he was cheated on in his marriage and his divorce. He gets very, um, I don't know how to say it, like smothering. Like he's like really like checking on me and like, and just like an investigator. And that is, I get very, uh, even though I'm the anxious one, that's the one thing that'll be like, nope. Like I need, I want my autonomy and I want, um, I want him to trust me. And believe in me, but I am learning that is really about him. It's not, I was offended, but like each time it would happen, I'd be like, Oh my gosh, you think I'm not trustworthy? But it's really, it's his thing that he can't trust. It's not that I'm untrustworthy. And so, um, well, it's good practice, regardless, yeah. you know. Well, we have fun. Good. <laughs> we go and do stuff. He's, he's a super great date planner. <laughs> is he in recovery? No, no but he listens to your awesome. podcast. <laughs> he, no, his, his family, I, he's not, he's not an addict. But his family was definitely dysfunctional. And he's just learned all that too, just in the sense of pandemic. The pandemic was pretty damn triggering. And, uh, and he lost his father and a lot of things came out in his life about that. So he's, he's in counseling, seeing through. Yeah, so somewhat yeah. self-actualized. Oh, yeah. And he's totally working on things. Good. So, yeah. Well, this has been lovely, my dear. Well, thank you. Well, that wraps up Shit Show Saturday. As always, Sign up for the Patreon. That is where I host weekly support groups. And it's where you say thanks, Andrea, for all that you do. Patreon.com slash adult child. Follow me on TikTok and Instagram at adult child pod. And give me a damn five star rating on Apple and Spotify. And I will see y'all shit shows on Wednesday. Bye. Let it all go.